I'm going to speak today the theme verse coming right out of 2 Corinthians 8. I want us to uh, look at uh, how the grace of God moved a church to give. And that it's attributed to grace, not coercion, not guilt, uh, not uh, some slick preacher, some uh, prosperity gospel uh, spin. Uh, just listen, and we'll look at 2 Corinthians 8. Then I'd like to make about 10 observations and go as quick as I can. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Before we look at the text, let me say something about buildings and borrowing and those kinds of things to set the stage. Uh, we uh, saved our money and we bought this property. We collected building fund offerings through the years, and so we're able to pay cash for this six point four acres. Uh, even after we got the land, we were still meeting at a theater in Rodeo. That's no place to have church unless you could remodel. But we live with uh, dire circumstances and waiting for God to enable us to build. Well, uh, we wanted to pay cash for that building, and we did pretty good. I think that building and the property cost us $2 million. Uh, and so buying the property at $480,000, something like that, and then the building, we ran out of money. But all kinds of sweat labor was put in by the people of this church. Uh, if you were in our church in those days, uh, I think of uh, Sharon Andrews over the painting uh, crew of our doors, Many a deacon's meeting, us men would hang sheetrock. Uh, we did whatever it took. Uh, we were working, I think of Ted Swanson, how much he worked day and night. Uh, Don Sylvester, a man that uh, might have been in his 80s at that time, how much work he did. The Guadaramas, it was incredible how you people put so much sweat labor in it trying to save money. Well, we ran out of money we needed $700,000. We borrowed it, and we paid it back in eight years. 
And so then we went along and we kept growing. Uh, finally went to two services. Rich Rollins kept saying, you've got to go to the third. We've run out of room. Uh, the church growth figure is once you're 80% full, uh, then they consider that full because people have got to be able to find a seat. Now, they would say, because we have that blocked off, usually young people when they're with us, but they would say, we're full right now. That, that would be a church growth thing. 80, 85%, you got to add another service. So Rich kept saying, you got to add a third service. And I said, Rich, I'm doing the preaching. It's my heart attack. Uh, it's my exhaustion. I don't want to add a third service. And then uh, David, in his benevolent, kind way, one day uh, said to his guys, when we were praying, he said, guys, we need to build. And uh, Rich and I looked at him, and I said, David, you know, get out of here. <laughs> I'm studying Habakkuk right now. I'm not interested in buildings. And he said, no, no. He said, you need, you guys need to think of what we're going to do with that other property. We need another building. And I, as a pastor, most pastors, we hate building programs because it's a lot of meetings usually and all that. And he kept on, and, and I kept, then one day he came in and said, I know you, Philip. And he, you know, talked to me as a baby brother. He said, I know you. Someday we'll be busting at the seams, and you're going to look at me and say, get us a building, David because you don't know anything about city planning. You don't know anything about how to get things done. You're just over here trying to find the book of Genesis. <laughs> and so, uh, okay, what do you want, David? He said, get the leadership to authorize me to work with uh, an architect, Alex Tomarup. Give me some money and let us do some preliminary drawings to even know what it would look like. Well, in this building and its design, the elders and deacons of this church, we did not spend over 10 hours on it. David and Alex did it, and they'd bring it to us. Does this look good? Does it, you know, a brother doesn't know it, know it. Yeah, it looks good, yeah. And the men, yeah, it looks pretty good. It's a dream, but it looks good. And uh, so Alex and David, they made the drawings, got it approved. And then we said, we won't build here until we have a million dollars on hand. And you saints gave and gave, and we had a million dollars. So we said, let's build. Then we made this decision. We're not going to build on just the land. We've only got 6.4 acres. We're going to dig it out, and we're going to get every ounce of space we can. So we put a basement in. It cost us more money, but now we've got 88,000, nearly 89,000 square feet in the two buildings, Multiply that by $300 a square foot in the Bay Area. And our buildings by the bank is estimated to be worth $13 million, and that's low. And uh, we owe about $4.8 million. So what we're doing, as we've done on other buildings, we're trying to accelerate the payoff because here's the figure that Ron Hughes gave me this. Uh, our principal is, uh, we've got some money that we're paying back in June would really be 4800000 But we pay $732 a day in interest. And that's with a 4.49% interest. That's a great loan. Did you ever think you'd get money under 5%? Well, but that loan's only good for three years. Then we have to 
reset the loan. Uh, let's see, we paid $150,000 last year. I think we'll pay about $240,000 this year on interest. What are we doing as leadership? We're saying, people of God, your money is helping pay the mortgage, but part of that is this interest. It's good stewardship. We thought it was right. I don't have time now, but it's biblical to borrow money at times. They did it all the time in the Bible. I can uh, wrestle with you about that I, if you ever want to see me. It's not wrong to borrow. Uh, it's wrong to put yourself in jeopardy or to borrow what you can't pay back. We've been a great, a great borrower because we pay back. And we're honest. See, if it's wrong to borrow, it's wrong for you guys to lend money because you're helping people sin. It goes both ways. It's not. They lent in the Bible. They borrow. Uh, that's the thing. But we think it's good stewardship to attack and eliminate the debt. Here's what we faced. In all the leadership, they stood as one man during that time. We had the choice. Do we go to the bank and borrow to build, or do we wait and save money and accumulate? And in light of inflationary costs, and material costs, we said it's cheaper to borrow than to trust an economy that's driving all the material goods up. And when we finished this building, cement, steel, copper, all of it just went out of the ceiling. So that this building that we built for $7 million conservatively could have cost us 15 to $16 million, and we couldn't have done it. So we went through the door of opportunity and seized it and borrowed the money and said, we'll trust God to pay it off, but we won't pay it off in 30 years. We'll accelerate, because you know what? We want to pay it off so we can do more for God, whatever that is, missions, planning churches. Uh, if, God ever, if God wants us to have that property over there, he can give it to us. And if we do get it, we'll develop other buildings. We're not going to stop giving until we get to heaven. So, so if you don't want to get in a church that never talks about giving, you're in the wrong church. No, no, there's no graduation. Because maybe work it out this way. The moment you want God to quit giving to you, you quit giving to him. Work it out that way. And so let me make 10 observations about 2 Corinthians. But I wanted to give you a little financial history why we even borrowed. And I thank God for the men who were the deacons and the elders were one, and David would come back, it's going to cost more, it's going to cost, they said, we must keep going. If we don't go through the door now, it's going to close, and we'll never be able to afford it. Thank God we were able to build this building. Now, let me say something else to you, and just be patient. We've got the sound treatment in. You said, but I'm still going deaf. It's still loud. You, it will be. We, we have a professional that's coming in, and because the building has, all the sound system has to start from scratch and now set it to the acoustical treatment. See, they set it to the old echo chamber. Now they got to come back and set it, but I believe hope is coming and earplugs may be able to come out. So we're, we're, we're climbing the mountain, and we thank you for your patience. So, well, here we go, and thank you for being late and getting here, because my first Sunday back, give it to me now. I, I, I 
I couldn't shut up. Let me uh, make some observations. Let's look at the passage. You got it? Uh, he, he's writing about, to the Corinthians, a tight-fisted church with him. He told them in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, I never took one cent from you, Corinthians, because of your attitude. So there was a party in that church that saw that they would not be gracious and kind to Paul. Philippians were kind to him. Thessalonians were. And he's going to describe the Macedonian church, which was the church up north of the Isthmus and Corinth. It was Thessalonica, Berea, uh, Philippi. It was up in the north of Greece called Macedonia. And he says, let me tell you how the grace of God worked in a church. I'm taking an offering for the poor church in Jerusalem. Our Jewish brothers and sisters are suffering great persecution. Let me tell you what the Macedonians have done in order to minister to them and how they gave their money. And let me just move along. Ten observations. Number one, what is going to be described here is a result of the grace of God working in a bunch of believers. Not law, not guilt, the grace of God, the grace that saved them, enabled them to be the kind of givers we're going to look at. When you want to ask, who, who would ever do that? That's, that? that's law. I wouldn't take an offering from a poor church. Well, they did. He never told the poor not to give. He never told saints in a hard time. He never told saints in a recession, don't dare have a building program. You just do it any time. Because this church, you're going to find out, they were in more than a recession. They were in a depression. And they gave. So the grace of God produced this church. And he said, they gave, notice, in severe affliction. Verse 2, in severe test of affliction. And the word here for affliction was a word, thalipsis, that meant to crush out grapes, to put enough pressure to split the juice out of the skin of that grape. He said they, this was a church under severe pressure. It's interesting. Where the God, God of grace is working in a people, it doesn't mean they won't be under affliction. We think, I'm blessed. How's that? I have no trials, no wants. All the bills are paid. Lots in the bank. I'm blessed. You might be in the worst state you've ever been in. I had some millionaire friends of mine that lost uh, everything, went under, and never forget her telling Carol and I, says, we never knew what it was to trust God as millionaires. It's only since we lost everything. I'm not saying you can't trust God with a lot, but sometimes it's deceitful what having can do to your attitude and the independence and the self-sufficiency. He said, Guess what? Grace doesn't guarantee you immunity from trials. Matter of fact, when they got saved, it got worse. Have you ever had anyone? I've been in testimony services. Man, my life was good till I got saved. Everything was great. Uh, but now I've lost my job. And think of this is the Jerusalem saints. Oh, you're one of these believers? You're fired. You can't work for us. You mean... You meet with this ragtag group on Sundays, but we're Jewish. You can't work for us. 
in that affliction. Grace doesn't mean you won't be under pressure. It may be God's doing something greater in you than he would in good times. Well, third observation. God made them generous while living with great poverty. He said, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. This is astounding, that their deep poverty, and this word in the Greek is bottom. We would say rock bottom. They had bottomed out economically. And I've done background study here. Rome was, took over their gold and silver mines in this area. They put a tax upon smelting even copper, and they were under persecution. And the Macedonians said this to Rome, Rome, you have lacerated us and disjointed us like an animal. You have taxed us so much. So they were in a hard way economically. And yet, Paul uses them as one of the most outstanding examples in all the Bible about the heart to give the heart to give beyond what you may think is even reasonable because they were captured by Christ, captured by the needs of his people. And so they said, we want to be a part of it. I've always dreamed that I'd be a pastor of a wealthy church. You can't blame me, can you? I came from Richmond. I grew up in the projects. I grew up with people that fled the dust bowl. Come on, Lord, let me get a degree and I might get one of these fat cat churches. They can really set me up for life. I talked to a man that uh, used to come to our church, represented partners, went to a church down the peninsula, and I was talking, Gary Van Manen, and uh, I was talking to him one day and he said, what is this that you got going to your church? We were doing some capital stewardship. He said, what is capital stewardship? He was a retired construction worker, had done well. And I said, I didn't want to tell him, it's what ordinary folks do to build buildings. And, and he, I said, how do you guys build buildings? He said, we take an offering. You take an offering. Did I hear a offering? <laughs> yeah, a offering. I said, tell me about it. He said, we present the need. We notify our people, and we just took a Sunday morning offering and raised $15 million. I said, Lord, why didn't you lead me that way? <laughs> I mean, come on, I deserve a break. $15 million in a Sunday morning offering. Uh, Dr. Criswell, in his Sunday school class, First Baptist Dallas, and his Sunday school class had a missionary with him. And he said, man, let's take an offering to help our brother. George Rutenbar told me this. He said, let's take an offering to help our brother. His Sunday school class gave the man $275,000 in the offering. <laughs> 200 doctors were in his class. Why? I got 200X something. <laughs> uh... Yeah, you know, it's depressing. I was in Singapore last February, and I'm, I'm in a church, 
And I asked the pastor, I was asking one of the pastors, what did this beautiful building cost at $32 million? It's beautiful. Man, the, the garage was just, I mean, I drove me in this garage, and I went to the pastor's office. It looked like the gold palace. And this guy's a converted Elvis, a Chinese Elvis. He had the voice. He and I played guitar together. You ain't nothing but a, whoa. I just, I love Chinese people, but I don't see him singing Hound Dog. <laughs> but he had this baritone, he, he was a singer. Got saved out of the clubs. And uh, this church, I said, 32 million, how long will it take you to pay it off? He said, two years, we already paid it off. 32 million, two years. Uh, so there are churches that liquidate quicker. See, but we have not been so blessed. I had the largest gift ever given to our building program went like this, a quarter of a million. To a man came to me, I'm going to give $250,000 to the building program. Praise the Lord. I tried to conceal that this doesn't happen all the time. I said, yeah, sure. You cheapskate, you know. <laughs> well, he said, here, I'll give you 125000 now, and I'll give you the other later. He said, I could give it all to you now, but I think I'll just wait and give the other later. He lost everything before he ever gave the other. And he came to me, he said, I was foolish. I had it all the day I talked to you. I had it all. I should have written the check that day. So he gave us 125000 thanked the Lord, and fell into hardships and things he couldn't control. And do the deed while you can. But these people gave out a severe poverty, crouching poverty, widow's might poverty, and it did not keep them from giving. Now, let me say this to you. We are not a wealthy church by these illustrations, but by the world's standards, in a way, I want to say we are rich compared to a two-thirds world. We're rich compared to the Macedonians. Uh, we don't have crouching poverty. Uh, in the Sudan, I just read this. In the Sudan, to get water, they're being killed so much by the Muslims, the Christians uh, in the North are being killed, and they have this problem to deal with in getting water. If we send our father, they usually kill the men, so we may risk him not coming back. Two, if we send our wife, they get raped, and if we send our children, they get kidnapped. So we're in a dilemma. Who goes and gets the water? This morning, I took a shower and wasted more water than I could sustain one Sudanese family for a day, and it was all clean. See, many of our missionary agencies are just installing wells for people because guinea worm and parasites are eating up the people. You people, we, we take East Bay mud for granted, don't we? It better be clean, it better be good, it better, it because be, I'm an American. And you might be a brat, 
You may not know God didn't owe you clean water, and he didn't owe you America, and he didn't owe you your parents, and he doesn't owe you the prosperity you've got. Please, of all things, count your blessings and be humble that God's been so good to you. Be humble. Well, uh, they gave as much as they were able in verse 3. And there is a giant verse. For they gave according to their means or according to their ability. For they gave according to their means, ESV version here, as I can testify. And then he goes on, the next observation, they gave beyond their means of their own accord. You see, if you put a gun to my head, I could give beyond what I'm able. You're robbing me. I can't afford to give you this money. I got to make a house payment. Well, sir, you won't need a house payment with a bullet in your head. Here, I feel generous. <laughs> Take it all. Giving's never that way, is it? When they, someone robs you, are you willing to give them everything? Absolutely but different motive. They gave, and this verse bothers me. I was talking with some men yesterday. What does it mean to give beyond your means? I, the only way I know is it's risk giving. It's the widow's might that puts everything in. It's the Jason, Rebecca, if we put this offering in, we may live on cereal next week. And see, most of you have never experienced that. You've never been taught it. You don't believe it's even biblical. It's biblical. There was a woman who was about to die, and the prophet said, you feed me first, then you die. But the meal barrel never ran dry. When she obeyed God's word, took care of Elijah, God saw that the meal barrel was replenished, replenished, replenished. They gave beyond their means. It reminds me of a uh, dear brother friend that is a, a lawyer on the East Coast, and because he was the pit boss for this law firm, around Christmas time, he was the designated guy to go around and ask for a gift they would give to Salvation Army or some kind of philanthropy uh, at that time, and he knows everybody's salary. He, he's one of the major lawyers with this firm, and so he said, I know what everybody makes. And we were averaging about $2 million minimum a lawyer. So I knew that. And he said, I went to this one guy. He said, hey, could you make a donation this year? No, man, things have been pretty tight. And he said, oh, really? He said, you know, it's Salvation Army, or it's to help somebody, a homeless shelter, something like that. No, 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 it's been pretty tight. And he said, wow. And then the guy said, I'm just trying to keep food on the table. $2 million a year, and you're worried about keeping food on the table? He just had no heart. When God's got your heart and the grace of God's working, you'll even make a risk to give to the cause of Christ because you treasure Christ more than riches. You treasure his people more than your bank account. Your security isn't how much money you have. You see, Jesus never did say it's easy to be rich. It's always difficult. It's double difficult. It's impossible 
for a rich man to be saved, but with God is possible. In other words, the natural state of a man having riches insulates him from ever admitting his need of God. God does a double work in saving a rich man. He has to penetrate all that independence, all that self-sufficiency. I don't need anything. I'm in charge. I'm autonomous. Many more poor people does Jesus look good to than a man that says, what will I have to give up if I come to Christ? But when Christ becomes your treasure, when Christ becomes your greatest possession, everything else you'll subordinate to him. So they gave, not just according to their means, but beyond it. Well, let's keep on. This is very convicting. Uh, but here's something interesting. They begged Paul for the favor of being in the offering. Uh, he didn't beg them. They begged him. You notice that? Begging us earnestly. And that's another thing I want to experience, is you begging us to take the offering. If the grace of God was working in your heart, you could do that. Begging us earnestly. And sinners, it's just what I love, this offering was going to people they had never met. It was going to the Jewish brethren there in Jerusalem. I, I thank God we give to, you know, several weeks ago we gave $10,000 to John Batrans. We gave from the money you have put in the missions fund. When John came to the house after the service, he said, Pastor, something my wife doesn't know or you know is I landed at your church broke. My fund, my entire fund has been depleted. You didn't know I was totally broke. Because he said, in America now, churches are dropping missionaries quite frequently. My home church just dropped me because they've gone down. And he said, well, I said, well, what do you normally get when you go to church? He said, four minutes to greet and a $100 honorarium. You can't support a missionary on a $100 honorarium. You, because you, you, God's people gave. We gave them $10,000 in Jesus' name. And Joe comes to me when I'm feeling good. She said, we should have given them more. I think we just sent Nonilo $5,000 because uh, a parasite is trying to kill him. It's in, attacked his liver. And he's now taking medicine at $300 a pop out in uh, Mindanao, Philippines. He doesn't have any money. And uh, he said, I'll die if they don't help me. They wanted to do surgery, but they're afraid of infection, diabetes, complications, and money. Just money. Money. It's the stuff that people got gobs of. And we got this missionary out there that does the work of 10 men. If you read his emails, if you have any correspondence with Nonilo, it's like reading the book of Acts. He's spent, being spent. His kids are working with him. Thala's working with him. He's training pastors. What more? What more? Oh, I'm asking, could you give me enough medicine that I can know my grandchildren and I can serve Christ a little bit longer? And we say, no. Or we say, oh, we beg for the opportunity. I found out about it through Susie, then the emails. We contacted a few churches that were involved. Their funds were low at this time. Several of the brethren were going to go to the field there. Susie's supposed to go in May and to teach women on the field. Thank God for that. 
But guess what? You and I, we've only given five. That's not very much money when a man's fighting for his life. Would you rather, would you rather have a brand new car or say I deferred, I'll drive my clunker a little longer, but I kept a missionary alive? It's up to you. It's what you treasure the most. You justify everything you spend your money on. Why do some people always say, oh, the church? No, because Christ hasn't become your treasure. And they said, there's a bunch of Jewish people in Jerusalem that we've never met, and we Gentiles don't like Jews. There's something about when you give money to another group that you don't know, you haven't seen, you'll start loving them. I think of one of our dear men, Tom Fox. Uh, he was out in North Richmond in one of our African-American churches out there. Their water main had broken, had a break in it. They didn't have the money to have it fixed. They didn't have the political clout to get it fixed quick. David knew some people at East Bay Mud and the city of Richmond. They moved their case up front, came to our elders. We said, Give them money to East Bay Mud to turn on that water for our brothers in North Richmond. I've never met the pastor, never met the church, but I feel good knowing that I helped a church in North Richmond just keep the water on. <laughs> These are the things that are going to surprise us when we get to heaven. They're going to walk up and say, thanks. You never met me, but I know you helped me. I know you sent a love offering. Well, I don't know where I am, but I'm going forever. Uh, I, I'll try to wrap up where he says in verse 6 and 7, that you excel in everything, excel in this matter of giving. Uh, you excel in knowledge, gifts. Learn to excel as a giver. Are you a giver? Are you a generous person? Do your kids think of you that way? Are you generous? He says in verse 9, what I'm telling you, Corinthians, about these folks is not, I'm not commanding you to give this way. But I like for you to prove your earnestness of others and that your love be genuine. Corinth, you knew about this need. You said you would help. I'm just telling and reporting on what God is doing through another church. I have to say, I am jealous when I hear of other churches and what they're doing for the cause of Christ, and maybe we're not up to speed in that area. When I hear of another pastor's church, they gave this big amount to help build a church for the cause. I, that's my ministerial jealousy. Lord, I'm jealous that Bat Valley can give those kind of gifts and promote the name of Jesus like that. I want to be a church that spreads the gospel, not just here, anywhere we can. That's my jealousy. The jealousy for resources that we can keep pouring it in to Fantasco, to reaching this area, reaching kids. Oh, there's so much to do, so much to do, so few resources. He says, I speak this to you, then he finally says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you by his poverty might be rich. Last April, I preached on this, and I'll never approach giving the same. That when you fill out your giving, 
you ought to always write it as though you're at the foot of the cross and say, was Jesus paying his tithes on the cross? Was Jesus trying to see how little I can give to purchase a bunch of rebels and a bunch of hell-deserving sinners? For you, he became poor. You, you, if you're saved, it's you I'm talking about. He even paid a price that even brings blessings to those who are never receiving. For you, he became poor who's rich. You can be poor a lot of ways, but he, he knew how to manage money. He told the Father, I will divest myself of not, all, not only the throne room of heaven, the riches he gave up was not money, not a debit card. The riches he gave up was spiritual blessings. I'm going to give up heaven. I'm even going to experience hell for three hours on the cross that the people I save will never experience it. I'll scream out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? And God could tell him, for you, you Macedonians, you Corinthians, you Valley Bible people, you that are saved, it was for you he entered hell from 12 noon to 3 p.m. I feel the abandonment wrath of God on me and say, why? Why did you get that poor? I did it that eternal life was not bought without a sacrifice. I'm going to give you heaven and eternal life and forgiveness free because I divested myself. I had no more to give by the time I went to heaven. Something we did not read to you is verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord, then to us by the will of God. I ask you, uh, Unless God owns you, unless you treat Christ like Lord, you'll always be fussing over stuff. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Let me ask you, when I buy a car, do I buy a car for that car to tell me where it will go? When I buy a pair of pants, do I want the pants to tell me, I don't want to be worn today? No, the purchase the purchase has no say to the purchaser. Have you not been bought with a price? Have you been bought to tell the creator, redeemer, no, no, no. You will not do this in my life. You cannot send me there. You cannot, I'm in charge. You just pay the price. No, 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 no. He's Lord. He's owner. He's master. That is the fact, but he's waiting for you to admit it and tell him you see it. Lord, you own me. You own all the stuff. I thought about offerings and giving. My wife and I have been praying. But I think about giving yourself first. What would you rather have in your house? 
but blessings of God are your stuff. Now, your stuff can be a blessing from God, but if you elevate it and it gets a grip on you, it becomes your God. There's the danger. But he talked about spiritual blessings. Uh, one of my precious granddaughters, uh, she's out here from Carolina, and she, she wants a grandfather day. We had this last time she was here, and she made out like a bandit. You know, go, and she likes jewelry and this and that. And so, good, granddad, I, I'm, on a, I'm on a granddaughter's day. All right. I was suspicious for why, but I believe she loves me deeply. The gifts mean nothing. And so anyway, I said, yeah. But then Cole came over, and they were hanging out and playing together. And so she gave him permission to go on this date. And so I took them out to breakfast yesterday. And while we were eating breakfast, uh, Jaden is nine. I believe nine. Cole is eight. I said, well, kids, uh, do you ever think about what you'd like to be? What would you like to be? And so Jaden shared with I expect Jaden to be a mountain climber, uh, a veterinarian, uh, Davy Crockett's wife, because they're, they're among so many woods. But, I mean, she's just an outdoors kind of girl. Uh, so precious and said, well, I, I like to do this and do that. And Cole, he's a tall boy. He's a little boy in a tall body, you know. You get Jason for a father, you can get some height. And uh, I, we're at breakfast, and they're, Cole, what do you think you'd like to be? He said, I think I'd like to be a minister. That's the only one of my 11 grandchildren that ever said that. <laughs> the rest, MBA, money, no, 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 no. But, I mean, this young child, to me, a child, eight, and when he said that, I thought, what if all 11 of my grandchildren wanted to go in the ministry, the mission field, work with the poor, and none of them planned to be wealthy? What would that do to my heart? I would be one weeping grandfather. I'd rather them be spent on the sacrifice of the cross than become multimillionaires. And God, you know, I want God to make rich every person in this church that would give it back to God. I would pray for your spiritual demise if I pray for you just to be rich. God, make them rich that they may use their advantages to promote the name of Jesus, like God has done it through the Fox family. They've used their blessing to bless missions in great ways and carried themselves low, low. Would you want God to make one of your kids a preacher? What about a missionary? What about a missionary to New Guinea? Your grandchildren grow up on a mission field. Would you be willing? If you treasure Christ, that wouldn't offend you. You mean my child God would use to be poured out on the sacrifice of the cross? You would use one of my children? I tell you, I'd rather have that than them to be a millionaire and miss heaven. You can maybe be bold. I'm just saying, where's the values? 
Alan Redpath was a Britisher that pastored Moody Bible Church, marvelous preacher. I heard him in Mount Hermon one time, and oh, what a preacher. And he tells the story of two women uh, talking uh, after service, and they were just comparing their children and different things like that. And the one woman began to uh, uh, whine and complain about how much it costs to raise children, and uh, they cost this and they cost that. And she was going on and bemoaning uh, the price of parenthood. And this other woman at Moody Church uh, spoke up. She said, you know what? Uh, we went through the same thing. said, those early years, we just, uh, finances were short, and it was rough for us to make it. And he said, and we got through those early years, and lo and behold, college rolls around. You know, tuition and sending them off and getting them ready. And she said, you know, that boy cost us and cost us until one night we were called and said he'd been killed in an auto accident while at college. And said, after we paid for the funeral, he's never cost us another dime. But I'd rather have a living son that costs me than a dead son that costs nothing. I'll tell you right now, if you want a dead church, do you want a church that doesn't love missions? Do you want a church that doesn't believe in helping the poor? If you want a church that doesn't love the gospel and you'd rather give your money than to say, I didn't get the gospel out, you can find a dead church anytime. But if we're alive, it will cost. It'll cost tears, prayer, intercession, money, your life, your all. But oh, such sacrifice demands my life, my soul, my all when I survey the wondrous cross. We're going to sing, I surrender all. And some of you are struggling whether you could surrender an extra $100 or whatever. Let me tell you something as I close. Next week, we're turning in our cards. Tuesday night, those of us who are brave enough will show up at an advanced commitment. We do three-year programs because that's what? 36 months, 156 weeks. When Carol and I made our first $10,000 pledge when I was making $24,000 a year, we had no cash on hand. We had no savings account. Dave Ramsey would not use us for an example. We didn't even have the eight months in the bank slush fund. We had eight months of we hope we make it. But when this program came along, three years, she and I had paid off cars before, and we were paying a mortgage. And we prayed and said, we can do 10,000 if God a supply. How? I had to break it down to weekly payments, monthly, because I had no money up front. I had no cash. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And you say, you're talking to the wrong folks. The only thing I can hawk is my children, and I can't get much. <laughs> I have no cash. Well, this plan, pray, what could God, with his provision, with his blessing, what could you give? Some of you give 10000 but see, that'd be 3300 a year. But after, at the end of three years, you'll say, by the grace of God, we were able to give 10000 We were able to give whatever. 
That's the dynamic of a three-year plan. In a wealthy church, you take a Sunday morning offering and you raise $15 million. Uh, my daughter goes to a church. They wanted to help plant another church in Greenville, South Carolina. They told the people. They prayed about it for five weeks. They took an offering, $950,000, and they planted a church in Greenville. Marvelous, wonderful, over and beyond. So we, can, we want every one of you to be included, not just those that may really have excess money. If you want to be a part of it, if you earnestly beg, could I be a part of something eternal? Could I be a part of something that will promote Jesus? Listen to me. Hear me. I'm not about buildings. I'm about people. And they got to sit somewhere. And I'm not going to have them sit at a cold theater anymore because you people gave and sacrificed, and now we give them this building. But it's Jesus and people is what we're about. Buildings, I try to find a warehouse. I try to rent so many different, because I'm not into buildings by bent. I could be as happy at Holy Ghost Hall forever because I just want the presence of God. But if it demands buildings to hand the numbers, we do it. I want to thank God for one of our dear sisters in this church who gave us a $40,000 check so we could paint that building. See, she saw a need, wrote a check, gave it in Jesus' name. That's how we're able to do this stuff. Somebody begs for the opportunity to help. Father, as we consider this week what you want us to do for the next three years to do something that's so unromantic as paying off a building, but it's a means to an end, Lord. We want to free up money. We want to get rid of a mortgage. I sure wish we could triple missions, quadruple. I want to plant churches, Lord. I want to back missionaries. I want to help poor preachers that can't bury their wife because they don't have the money. And Valley buried the woman as the preacher lost his home. I want us to help others. I want to hold the rope. We'll either need it or give it. Let us give it. Let us give it. I hope when I go to heaven, I won't leave money into a bunch of va vanity stuff. May I invest it for eternal good. My greatest prayer today in my heart, Lord, is may people give themselves to you, the one who bought them, and then you'll talk to them about the rest of their life. We pray, guide us as we come to next Sunday. May the need, more than a million, be committed. Give us a miracle. It's from somewhere, if it's not in this church, you can move on somebody like the last campaign. A woman from Washington sends a $50,000 check, and we've never met her. But she just heard, I heard of your need. I want to help. Move, Lord. Raise it. Our confidence is not in men, but in you. Let us stand. Let us sing.